Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, uh, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. For those of you who don't know me, uh, uh, Financing Solutions, or my company, uh, Financing Solutions provides very easy-to-set-up lines of credit for your business. And I will be your host for today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Uh, I would tell you over the 30 years that I've been building companies, I've almost always had a line of credit. I'm passionate about the idea that a business owner should have a line of credit just in case. And if you're interested in learning more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com. So a little bit about me, uh, over the last 25 plus years, uh, after 25 years, you stop saying how long it is. I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies that have made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience. And today, I am very excited to be speaking with Rebecca Weaver from HR Uprise. Before we get to Rebecca, I just want to talk about our sponsor for today. It's Technology Management Group, also known as TMG. For 30 years now, they have been involved in cybersecurity, uh, and that's a long time. Uh, you know, they're probably the, one of the first companies to start getting involved in it. So if you have a cybersecurity issue, please feel free to visit them. They're really a great guy. I really like the owner. Uh, you can visit their website at cyberctrl.net. Again, that's cyberctrl.net. Uh, now, I'd like to welcome Rebecca to the podcast. Rebecca Weaver is the founder and CEO of HR Uprise, an employee advocacy organization that supports employees and companies with flexible, independent HR for the new world of work. For more than 20 years, Rebecca uh, has worked in high levels of leadership in companies that ran the gamut from Fortune 50 companies to experimental startups. At HR Uprise, Rebecca helps small businesses and nonprofits build equitable HR practices from the ground up. She is a sought-after public speaker, writer, and host of the Problem Performers podcast. Rebecca, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. You know, there's, uh, I, I think I've done 600 podcasts. Um, so I, I do actually have, I host two podcasts. And, you know, after that many, there are certain topics which I'm not exactly the most thrilled with, like, like excited about, I should say. But today is one I am excited to talk about. And today is uh, topic is how post-COVID has changed us as business leaders. I, I'm very interested in the subject. For some reason, I've always been interested in, in this subject matter because of how leadership, how teams, how managing has changed since we've gone remote. And, you know, it's just interesting statistic before we got in, you know, kind of talk about it. Um, uh, only 15% of the workforce has the ability and, and, and can work remotely, uh, which is a lot. I think it surprises a lot of people when you hear a statistic like that. Um, we all think 
oh, well, everybody can work remote. Well, they can't. So, uh, so, you know, Rebecca, what is the number one thing that you've noticed after post-COVID that has changed how business leaders have to act? Yeah, absolutely. Everything has changed. Um, and that is why I think this is such an important conversation to have. So when we look at our entire way of thinking about how we do business changing almost overnight, almost literally overnight for us back in 2020, absolutely everything changed. Um, for the businesses that were able to shift to remote working, there were all kinds of immediate logistical challenges. How do we set up home offices? How do we make sure that employees have computers, laptops, Wi-Fi to even be able to connect, let alone making decisions about software that might enable us to continue to collaborate, whether that was Zoom or uh, Slack or you know any number of these different types of software. So there was the logistical part of it. And that was for companies that were able to shift to remote. Then you look at the businesses or the types of jobs where that wasn't an option. And a lot of those were in the retail sector, in hospitality, in healthcare. These are all jobs that we essentially, we ended up calling essential workers, right? And we refer to them as essential workers during during that time. How did they continue to work um, in a way that they, in a world where physical proximity to other people could be deadly. And so all of that changed. All of the things that we used to think were givens in business um, or in how things worked were completely shattered as well. You think about um, professions that were considered to be, um, so I think about friends who are dentists, for example. And before the pandemic, we would have said, oh, yeah, that's a great, very solid, stable profession. People are always going to need to have their teeth done, right, and have their teeth checked and kept healthy. And then during the pandemic, they had to shut down their entire business um, and could not operate for nearly a year. So all of these things, you know, even these kind of fundamental things that, that we were thinking about and how we do business logistically, how we even physically are able to do it changed overnight. And then, of course, and this is the part where I spend um, the majority of my time is really around the emotional and physical and mental health challenges that came along with the pandemic. And for so many of us, you know, looking around, especially in the earlier days of the pandemic, when we literally have thousands of people dying every day from this virus, it really caused all of us in one way or another to completely reevaluate what was important to us. How are we spending our time? That ultimate, I call it the worth it equation, right? The, the ultimate, am I getting in return what I am giving in terms of my profession, in terms of where I spend my time, in terms of how I'm doing things. Um, and so those were the kinds of shifts. And that's what led to what was referred to as the great resignation. I like to think of it as the great re-evaluation uh, for all of us about how we're spending our time. And is it is it 
fulfilling to us um, more than just cashing a paycheck, but you know, is this truly fulfilling? So it really, it really did change absolutely everything. Yeah. I, you know, my son works for a major bank and uh, you know, they went all remote. Then they went to two days that you had to come in the office. And then they went to three days. You have to come in the office. And what, what do you think they know that we don't? I'm not sure that they do. What I would say is I think this is a really critical period of time for leaders to really be thinking about how do we take from the pandemic the lessons that we wanted to. I remember being a part of a lot of conversations saying, okay, so we're doing this evaluation, you know, we're making changes. We saw huge numbers of people, I mean, record numbers of people leaving their jobs and leaving industries entirely um, during 2021. So this was like immediate aftermath of the pandemic. And it, it really caused this, this massive shift. And now where we are in 2023, we start to see businesses pulling people back. Um, we have to come back in the office. And I would say, um, I don't necessarily advocate that everyone should be fully remote all the time. What I advocate for is really time and work location mastery wherever it's possible. And what I mean by that is employees should have the flexibility and freedom to determine where they can do their work the best and not have it just be the default of, oh, well, we must be in person just because we've invested, you know, however many millions of dollars in real estate or, you know, any number of reasons that managers may be or owners may be pulling people back into the office. It really needs to be intentional. If we're going to be together, you know, we certainly have figured out a way to continue to be productive when we don't have to be co-located in the same place. So let's be really intentional about the time that we're coming back together, how we're going to use that time. What are we, what are we using it for? Because we certainly see a lot of folks who, for example, are called back to the office, and yet they spend their entire day on Zoom calls because they still have a number of folks who are either working remotely or, you know, maybe they're in other locations around the world. That's not the intentional um, location. That's not using the time intentionally if all I'm doing is driving um, to do the exact same thing that I could be doing from my home office. Um, so, you know, how are we really using that time? There are definitely things, definitely advantages to having people together, the ability to connect, um, the ability to um, brainstorm in different ways, the ability to kind of feed off of each other's energy. Um, you know, there are lots and lots of really intentional reasons for getting together, but I would say that is the most important component um, of building a return to office strategy. Yeah, I I think we're not there yet. I don't think the mixture is there of uh I don't think 100% remote. I think I think listen, it depends on the industry. Um I I don't I'm not even I'm not even convinced that it depends on the job to be honest with you. So like I'll give you an example. Before COVID hit, um my business partner um decided that he was going to move far away and that he was going to work out of his home office. And prior to that, we had been in the same office for seven years and he has his office right next to mine. And, and um, he, 
so the, our routine was that when he would walk in and we had, we have several employees. So we, this is not a big company. I've, ha- I've had as many as 120 employees at one point at other companies, but, but this uh, financing solutions is a relatively small company. And, um, so, but our office is right now next to each other. He would, every morning he'd come in uh, with his coffee. I'd have my coffee and he would sit in my office. I, I happened to have the bigger office with the chair, with a couch. And so he would sit down and we would start talking about our weekend or, or whatever. And then all of a you know, as we were talking, of course, then we start turning it to business. And, you know, usually that conversation would go on for an hour, an hour and a half. And then after that, he would, you know, go back to his office, get his work done. I would get my work done. Maybe we would go out to, well, we usually always went out to lunch together too. And so then several years later, that changed. He moved far away and we didn't see each other anymore. And what happened was the, I, the ideas, um, stopped flowing. Even though we talked on the phone all the time. You know, regardless if it was Zoom or, you know, we, we mainly did the phone. Zoom wasn't big then. This is, I'm talking about, this is about two years, uh, two years before COVID hit is when he, um, uh, when he moved away. That was a little bit more than that when he moved away. Um, so we stopped brainstorming on new ideas. We stopped talking about operational things in the businesses uh, he did his work. He was silo. I did my work. I was silo. Yeah, we talked on the phone, but it was just because uh, we had we had a problem to talk about. And I think we really, when you're a leader, you underestimate the amount how culture becomes pervasive in your organization from the lowest level to the highest level because of personal touch and those coffee. Uh, conversations. Um, I agree with you. Like, for example, like my son, he has to pick, he can pick whatever day he wants to go into work. So you're right about the Zoom. And, you know, I think one of the things that maybe his company should do would be is say is everybody has to come in on these days for your department, maybe, or just, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you have to come in the office and Tuesdays and Thursdays, you don't. The problem is, of course, you lose people, right? And, you know, honestly, a lot of, he's a software engineer, a lot of IT people don't want to work with banks to begin with. So um, I think if I was running a, a big company, I would have to make an extra effort uh, to make sure that our, our team is having Zoom coffee meetings, you know, just the bullshit. Uh, you know, I, and I think I would figure it out. No problem. I think most, most smaller businesses, I'm talking about businesses under, uh, 10 million, 15 million revenue. They don't understand that you have to define and have a culture. They let the culture find the company. And, there's a lot of research that's gone into the idea that the one of the reasons why companies succeed is because of the culture that they've created. And with remote work, boy, that, I, I think that's a real challenge. What, what do you think? So I think what you're hitting on is 
a concept that I learned during the pandemic in my own personal experience. So my experience was I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the very beginning of the pandemic. And I went through, so my husband happens to be an emergency physician. um, And we decided that for safety, my physical safety, he was going to have to move out while I went through chemo. And so I went through chemo with our two young girls. They were six and three at the time, um, home by myself. Uh, my husband would come and if the weather was nice, he would sit out on the deck and we could talk to him through the screen door. Um, if the weather was bad, he would sit in the garage, always more than six feet away, of course. Um, and so that's how we managed through the five months that I went through chemotherapy. And it was during that experience that I learned about a concept called post-traumatic growth. And the idea with post-traumatic growth is that it is possible even through, even after trauma, a person who has experienced trauma can still grow and thrive after that. And there are a number of, um, kind of hallmarks to this concept of post-traumatic growth. But one of the things is I talk to, so I have a book coming out next year about this topic, but as I talk to an expert in post-traumatic growth psychologist, she described the difference between resilience and post-traumatic growth. And I think it really hits at what you were just describing. So resilience is the idea that Uh, here's my baseline, right? I might have a baseline of kind of where I typically operate, maybe how optimistic I feel um, in general, and then something happens. And then resilience is how quickly can I get back to that baseline? Post-traumatic growth or something highly traumatic is the idea that that baseline doesn't exist anymore. What we knew no longer exists. And so for me, getting a cancer diagnosis was most definitely one of those experiences, right? Um, all of a sudden, my life is now sort of marked in the before and after period. And what I had before no longer exists. Um, for people who have children, I think of this as a, as a positive, right? But a very similar sort of experience, right? Everything, absolutely everything that you know changes once you become a parent. And so my argument is really that this has all been our collective trauma. The pandemic has been a collective trauma for all of us. And what we knew before no longer exists. So we can't go back because it doesn't exist anymore. There really isn't what we knew before doesn't exist anymore. And we now have to figure out how do we rebuild something completely new with what we have. And so we will need to go through a grief process for what it felt like before, you know, the things that we loved about how work operated. And maybe it was those coffee talks that you would have every morning or being able to run out to lunch together um, and just have that um, time together. There's a grief process with that because you didn't choose. And again, I, I recognize for your situation, your partner moved away before the pandemic, but we're seeing that same kind of thing all over. Um, there's a grief process for all of us to figure out, um, you know, how do we reckon with the fact that that's gone? 
And more importantly, even more importantly, is how do we rebuild moving forward? Um, We do have the opportunity to create something brand new that is even better because there, there certainly were parts about a forced remote work because in the beginning it was forced for, for many of us. There were parts that have become really, really important. And especially when you talk to employees who are in a marginalized group within the workplace. So if you talk to parents or you talk to people of color, um, you talk to Black employees, there are many, many things that have been far more positive in this forced remote work. So parents have time to be able to run out and meet their kids at the bus stop when they would not have been able to do that. They're saving hours per day in commute time that they can then use to, maybe it's to exercise, or maybe it's just to spend time with a family member or just have some time to themselves, or quite frankly, do more work, because in a lot of cases, that's what's happening as well. Um, We see studies that say um, people of color, employees of color, experience less harassment in in a remote environment than they do in um, an in-person environment. So there, there are so many things that have been Um, actually a positive. And so the real challenge for us as leaders now is to figure out how do we retain that um, and build something brand new that works much better for all of us. Um, Disabled employees, right? Um, You know, what, what does a remote work environment look like for them? Who, quite frankly, disabled employees have been asking for a hybrid or a remote work option as an accommodation for years and have been told, oh, no, we can't do that. Now, all of a sudden, we have the opportunity to figure that out. Um, and there is no more argument that that's not possible. So that that's the real challenge, I think, for leaders is now to figure out how do we rebuild um, something entirely different that that is better. We, we absolutely can do that. This is the opportunity of this moment in time. Yeah, you know, um- you're hundred percent right. You're, you really are. Um, you know, the, the, the future now is an employee needs, uh, they, they need to have the, as long as they're not interfacing with people, right. In other words, you know, customers that they need to see them personally, you know, um, like, you know, like a place that sells hamburgers. Right. Um, but you're right. Um, the new model is you have to give the employee the option to go hundred percent remote. You have to give them the option to come into the office if they want. Um, and, and you have to give people the option to do both. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now once you've made that decision, because if you, can't, if you don't do that, you're just going to lose people, right? Um, and, and you're not going to be competitive. So that means, okay, now what does the remote work? What does the, our company look like? so that we can thrive. Um, and, and, you know, my, my argument would be you need, you need to have special meetings that involve helping everyone understand company culture, what it is, whatever it is that you define your culture to be. You need to have a company culture first. You need to define it. And then you have to work hard on trying to help all your employees understand and integrate that into their, their job. So let's, so let's give an example, right? Let's, so 
you know, I, I try sometimes I do, I try to explain culture to my two sons with company culture and, you know, and company culture is the personality of the company and it always stems from the top down. Right. So well, let's certainly. take Right. Everybody knows Apple. Right. And what is Apple's culture? All right. Um, I would say Apple's culture is a, a, a perfectionist drive toward um, uh, great design. That's what Steve Jobs was fantastic at. Mm -hmm. he, re he was a perfectionist. Uh, believe me, a terrible manager. I don't think I ever want, would want to work for Steve Jobs. But the, the culture of that company, if you wish to accept it, <laughs> is incredible design almost at a perfectionist level. And the people who work at Apple, if they're working remotely, they need to really live, understand that. I think also, you know, having discussions about uh, ideas is, you know, set discussions, uh, having, um, one-on-ones that's that's easy that's that's not a big deal i think anything where you have to bring people together and I, I think you have to look at the old model the way it used to be done see if it's still relevant and then bring it to the uh the hybrid i'm sorry the um remote work environment i mean uh, rebecca are there other you know we don't have to do this at our company but and I don't have per personal experience with it. What I do know is I would have I would adapt as a leader quickly and well. That's the type of person I am. What are you seeing that remote work now in companies, rather they be smaller or larger? What else am I missing here other than the coffee clutches for new ideas? The um, sending company culture throughout pervasiveness throughout the organization. What, what am I missing here? So I think that the, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, this really is all about company culture. And I would say even one step further, this is about defining your values as an organization. Mm. Um, and yes, the remote versus in-person is a component of it, but it is not the entire issue either. Um, and when I think about what is a future leader really need to be, um, how do they operate? It really revolves around three things. The first is what I call resilient leadership. And that is really about flexibility over rigidity, right? So it is understanding that we don't create company policies um, that are rigid rules, what I recommend is putting guidelines in place and explaining um, how can employees make the best decision um, that they need to make. Um, so flexibility, it's about um, being willing to make decisions um, quickly and figuring out how do we pull the right people together to make those decisions. Um, it's about having plans for handling crisis and uncertainty and how do we move through that. So that's really um, how I define resilient leadership. The second part is what I would call an empathic culture. And it means it really revolves around empathy. Um, this is really shifting from a one-size-fits-all sort of um, mentality that we have had um, historically 
to how do we cater to each individual within the workplace? And yes, it is possible even with large teams. Um, so it's about holistic well-being. How are we caring for not just physical safety for our employees, but also mental safety and yes, even spiritual safety. Um, uh, and what I mean by that is, um, is there meaning in the work that we do? Um, do employees feel fulfilled um, with the work that they do? It's really also about building community. Um, and what does that look like for us? And so that can look lots and lots of different ways, but we as humans are hardwired to connect and the workplace can be a prime place for us to be able to do that. So how do we build that community with intentionality? And it's about nurturing our talent. So there are things from a system that we need to look at, um, whether that's our benefits and how do those play out for our employees um, and especially different marginalized groups. Um, how are trans employees in the workplace affected by the medical benefits that we offer, as an example? Right. So it's really about nurturing and it's about shifting to an individual, um, a more individual approach. Um, rather than, again, a one-size-fits-all. And the last part is really about strategic agility, right? So it is um, being able to pivot. It is um, being willing to empower others with transparency. So sharing much more than we traditionally have. In the past, it's been about, I have the power because I have all the information, right? And that's a very top-down management approach that, well, I'm the one with all the information, so I will make all the decisions. And really, a future leader is about um, empowering and sharing as much information as possible um, to make the best decisions. Again, who's involved in key decisions that are being made within your organization? Um, and how are you planning to pivot as, as needed? Um, again, I think that that was one of the great lessons of the pandemic was um, the need to be willing to adjust um, and be agile um, in the response in response to um, forces that are are far beyond our control. Um, and so, how do we lead our teams through that? So, for me, it's really based around those three things. Um, but that, to me, is the future leader. Um, you know, is is the leader who has confidence to be able to say man, I really screwed that one up. And let me tell you why, right? Um, it is a much more um, realistic view of what it means to be a human um, in the workplace. And I've said for a long time, and it has never been more true than it is now, that there is no such thing as leaving it at home. There's no such thing as a separation between who I am as a leader in the workplace and who I am outside of work. Um, there, there's absolutely no separation. Um, and so how can we, um, as leaders, um, really build a community and build a culture, um, that it recognizes that, um, and not just recognizes, but, but really honors, um, what that means for each employee. I mean, I, you're, you're certainly right. I, I agree with you. I, I would just tell you that one of the things I'll have to say this, you know, my, my business partner, he built his own company uh, that he sold and I've built several. And then we came together to build two companies and we both, when we came together to look at starting a new company uh, 12 years ago, we both said, we want as little employee. We want as, we don't want as many 
we don't want employees. We don't want them. You know, we had both been down that path. He had had a hundred, I had had a hundred. And I think that is also an option. I mean, you hear about all the things you need to do to keep people happy. And the first thing that runs through my mind, and this actually happened the other day, I was mentoring this new startup and, you know, he's going into cybersecurity. And I was like, you know, the the biggest problem you're going to have is finding people who can do cybersecurity. And if you can't tackle that problem, you're not going to have much of a company and also keeping those people happy. So, you know, I, I, you know, I hate to say it, but if you're you know building a company, one of the options is certainly looking at how can I have as little people as possible working for me? Because that's a big problem to, across the board for every business that's out there. I, um, I certainly think there are far more options. Um, you know, when you look at technologies that exist today um, that didn't even exist 10 years ago, um, you know, the ability to um, very easily um, collect payment, um, you know, invoice, like all, all of these things make it very, very easy um, for people to run um, a solopreneur kind of um, business and have it be very, very successful. Um, I would say that, um, you know, depending on what your goal is and depending on what your business is, it may be really unrealistic to say, I'm not going to have any employees. And even when, when we say employee, I am also talking about engaging with contractors. If you have contractors on your team who help you on a regular basis, you have a team. Um, and if you have um, folks that are supporting you in any sort of capacity, you have a team. And yes, it is challenging. Um, but it's also with the right model and the right intentionality. Um, we don't have to avoid it just because, um, it's challenging. You know, we don't have to avoid it just because it feels overwhelming. There are definitely, um, lots of ways to get support and to learn. Um, none of us come into this knowing exactly how to do it. I mean, I've been at this for 24 years now. Um, and I have learned so much over the years um, it's part of what my organization does is, you know, help people through this process and we can, we can hold your hand if that's what you need. Um, but there are tons and tons of ways to get the kind of support that you need and um, to learn what you need to learn. But um, it is really critically important. This is what employees are expecting. Um, and this is what people, this is what we all need uh, from our teams moving forward. And um, it's very difficult to accomplish anything, um, especially in business, completely by yourself. Great conversation. I, I enjoyed it very much. Unfortunately, it's all the time we kind of have today. Uh, I'd like to thank so very much uh, Rebecca Weaver from HR Uprise for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. We have so many great guests that have been on, have taught me a lot, and I think it will for you as well. Um, but also, if you like today's podcast or any of the other podcasts, please give us a five-star review. And if you're looking for a line of credit, please visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Rebecca, um, what, what do you typically provide to your clients? Well, you know, if people, uh, you know, want to use your services, your company, what, what, what is it you, you do exactly? 
Yeah. So we have a couple different ways that we support clients. Um, first is fractional HR. And so that is where you get access to, we have a network of over 60 HR Uprise coaches at this point um, who you get paired up with a coach who um, has an amazing wealth of experience and can help with whatever HR needs you have, but you get them for a fraction of their time. So um, it is a screaming deal when it comes to access to this level of expertise that most of our clients wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. So that's our fractional HR model. Again, you get them for, um, you know, maybe it's 15 hours a month or 30 hours a month. Um, and then we also have a program I call HR Navigator for smaller businesses who maybe aren't quite ready for that dedicated support. Um, and Or if they want to do more of a DIY kind of approach. So it's group coaching, um, it is monthly workshops, access to template policies, process templates, I mean, all kinds of things um, that you would need um, to get started. And we have a roadmap. Um, so depending on where you are, how many employees you have, how many states you're operating in, um, we've got a roadmap for you. And um, as I said, help you along the way. So yeah, we support in a number of different ways. And if they want to get a hold of you, how do they go about doing it? Yeah. So you can find me at hruprise.com, H-R-U-P-R-I-S-E.com. Um, and you can also find me, Rebecca Weaver, on LinkedIn as well. I'd love to connect there. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So I think my takeaway today um, was that I, I loved what Rebecca said. I think, you know, there's almost a line in the sand with COVID and that is the past is the past and you're going to have to really remake your company based on remote work and apply new ideas, new ways of building your company based on the idea that this is, you know, this is the new reality. Um, and I don't think you can go back anymore. I think Rebecca made me realize that that is a hundred percent true. That it's like, okay, we've got a clean slate here that we got to just move forward. What are, what are people asking for now? They're the, unfortunately they're driving the boat <laughs> and that's not going to change. And you need to kind of, you know, put your ideas, policies, procedures, you know, all those things in place before you move forward. So good luck. There's lots of material out there. I don't think it's all doom and gloom. Keep in mind, there's a lot of benefits to this too. You can keep employees longer because you're flexible. Um, you have the ability to reduce your real estate costs, which is a, a big deal. Uh, I think that, uh, unfortunately, I think the debate's out about employees being more productive remotely. I, don't, I think we're too early into the cycle to know about that. So uh, some good things to think about. All right, everybody, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur MBA podcast. See you later.